Welcome to the audio channel of the Reverend Dr. C.H.E. Sadoffel. His purpose is to preach Christ, teach the Bible, and make disciples. Now let us open our Bibles and our hearts as we listen to him proclaim the Word of God. So church, I would invite the congregation to stand and please turn to Matthew chapter 28 verses 1 to 10 as we will first pray and then read the word of God. Matthew chapter 28 verses 1 to 10. Let us pray. And now we humble ourselves before God Almighty, whose grace has gifted us and whose love has saved us. Patiently now we wait for thee. You ward as a lamp to our paths and a light to our feet. May the Holy Spirit strengthen his servant to deliver a word of truth so that many to Jesus will come and meet. Amen. Matthew 28, verses 1 to 10, the text says, Now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. The guard shook for fear of him and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you have been looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, just as he said. Come, see the place where he was lying. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report it to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and take my word to my brethren to leave for Galilee and there they will see me. Please be seated. So church, the title of this morning's message is The Resurrection, The Message, The Meaning, and The Mandate. Today is part one, which means next week is part two. So I know today is a special day, and I get to see fresh, bright new faces, so I would invite everyone who's here this week to come back next week for part two. But today's part one, the resurrection, the message, the meaning, and the mandate. Today we're talking about the resurrection on Resurrection Sunday. The resurrection is crucially, radically important. There would not be Christianity if the resurrection didn't happen. You wouldn't be Christian if the resurrection didn't happen. There would not be a Christian church if the resurrection did not happen. 
Our theme verse this morning, Matthew 28, verses 1 to 10, tells us the historical fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He bodily rose, meaning he really died. If there was a doctor at the scene of the cross, he would have flatlined, he has no pulse, he's dead. That happened on Friday, then Sunday morning, he bodily, in flesh and bone form, rose from the dead. Matthew 28, verses 1 to 10, is therefore, beloved, a chapter that tells us a story of victory, of triumph, of hope, of new beginnings, because death did not have the final say, God did, because he is risen. So today we have the message, the meaning, and the mandate. So what's the message? In Matthew 28, verses 1 to 10, what is God trying to tell us? Verse 1, Now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn, toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, the wife of Cleopas, came to look at the grave. In Mark chapter 16 and Luke chapter 24, that text tells us, that Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were coming to the grave to anoint the body of Jesus Christ. And my question to you this morning is, can you blame them? Because in their world, guess what? Dead people tended to stay dead. It was the same world back then as it is now. The sun rose in the morning, it went down in the evening. You had fall followed by winter. The same rules of nature, so dead people tended to stay dead. And these women, seeing Jesus die, came to anoint the body of Christ. But the message is, not this day, the message is there's something new because Jesus wasn't dead, was he? Jesus was, in fact, risen. Jesus, in fact, resurrected from the dead. What God is trying to tell us is on this resurrection Sunday morning, there is something new because death is no longer the end. Death is now a transition point. Death is now a gateway into new life. What does the text say? It began to dawn towards the first day of the week. In other words, when the old Sabbath was dying, when the old Sabbath was fading away into darkness, there was a dawn of a new day because there's something new. A new dawn is starting. A new day is beginning. Friday was the day that Jesus was crucified. That's why we call it Good Friday. Jesus was put into the tomb Friday evening. He stayed in the tomb all day Saturday, but when the women came to see what was going on Sunday morning, the tomb was now empty. And during that three-day period, Jesus stayed in the tomb, resting. He stayed in the tomb for that long just to validate the fact that he really was dead. And God's message to us here, he, in a sense, is telling a creation story to us over again. Because in the very beginning, before God made the world, he was at rest. He was resting. And there was no light. There was 
darkness. And then on the first day of the week, way back in Genesis 1, on the first day number one, at the start of the first week, God said, let there be light. And there was light, and there was something new. It was the first start of a new day. Now, 2,000 years ago, in and around Jerusalem, on the third day, on the first day, on the first day of the week, excuse me, the stone rolled away. And the darkness of the tomb was now dispelled by a new light that now pierced the darkness and revealed to you and I that that tomb is now empty. The message God is communicating to us is that there's something new. The tomb was dark, but then the light shone in because there is new light. It's a new day with new light, with new hope and new expectations. And all of that is new, new, new because he is risen. Something new is happening. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to the tomb. Who was Mary Magdalene? She was a woman, the Bible tells us, who was possessed by seven demons. Seven in the Bible is a number of completion, meaning she was completely overwhelmed. She was completely and totally consumed by the forces of darkness. But then one day, she met Jesus Christ. Mary Magdalene used to be a prostitute. Mary Magdalene used to be a woman who lived in darkness. But then she met a man called Jesus who set her free from her satanic oppression. And now Mary was someone new. Mary Magdalene was a woman on the lowest rungs of society, and the world told Mary Magdalene, you are nothing, you are a nobody. But once Mary Magdalene met Jesus, he set her free. And in Jesus Christ, Mary Magdalene is no longer a nobody. She is a daughter. She is a child of God. There is something new. It's new light and a new day. And in Jesus Christ, we have a new identity. The message God is telling us is this, is that he is risen. Therefore, something is new. We have new reasons to rejoice with new joy and new life by trusting in the risen Lord who is alive. Verse 2. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. There was an earthquake. This is the second earthquake in three days in and around Jerusalem. The first earthquake happened when Jesus was crucified. That was Friday. Now it's Sunday morning and another earthquake happened. What's going on? What's going on is God likes shaking things up. God likes shaking things up. He likes shaking up your thoughts. He likes shaking up your misconceptions. He likes shaking up your preconceptions. He likes shaking up your funny ideas about him and religion. God causes earthquakes to happen to let you and I know that he's God. 
that if God decrees an earthquake will happen, it will happen. In Exodus chapter 19, before God revealed his law to the people of Israel, what happened? An earthquake. In 1 Kings 19, before God speaks to his prophet Elijah, what happened? An earthquake. In the end times, before Jesus comes back, What's going to happen? Lots and lots of earthquakes. What's the message? What's God trying to tell us? The message is, pay attention. God causes those earthquakes to happen. God likes to shake things up to make sure you haven't fell asleep at the wheel, to make sure you haven't gotten comfortable in your comfort zone. The message is, pay attention, but what are we paying attention to? We're paying attention to exactly what the two Marys saw, a heavenly messenger that descended from above, that rolled away the stone, and sat upon it. That stone was a huge, massive boulder that was keeping the tomb locked up, that was preventing light from coming in. That stone represents the massive obstacle keeping the tomb sealed, imprisoning us in the shackles of death. And that something that was blocking that entrance, that big boulder stone, was sin. You see, when God revealed his law, all the thou shalts and thou shalt nots to his people, he revealed them onto stone tablets. And those stone tablets let us know what is right and what is wrong. But the problem biblical history reveals to us is that people knew what was right and wrong in their head. They had an understanding of it, but the problem is they didn't want to obey it. They desired, they actually wanted to do all the thou shall nots. It wasn't a head problem, it was a heart problem. And of course, creatures have a difficult time following all of God's commandments because the one who gives us all the thou shalts and thou shalt nots is God, who is holy, who is other, who is heavenly, who is divine, who is perfect, and who is just. So of course, all of God's commandments now to you and I become a stumbling block. And here's the irony. That big boulder is so big, it's so massive, we can't move it by ourselves. We can't exert our own effort to roll away that stone by ourselves. It's beyond our ability. It's beyond our capability. That stone was not only keeping us entombed, it was preventing us from seeing the light of day. In the dark tomb, we can neither see Jesus for who he really is, neither can we see ourselves for who we really are. That stone was blocking us from freedom because we couldn't get out. That stone was blocking us from reconciliation with God. But the message is, pay attention. 
The message is, why was Jesus in the tomb in the first place? Because he died. Why did he die? It's not to make us feel sorry for him. It's not to give us just an example of what self-sacrifice looks like. Jesus died. He was crucified to make an atonement to pay the penalty for my and your sins. You see, in order for that stone to be rolled away, a penalty, a debt had to be paid. So what God, by his grace, does, he saw all of his children going into the tomb, and he said, I'm not going to let that happen to them. So what he now justly does, Jesus, being perfect, doesn't go into the tomb for us as a guilty sinner. No, no, no. He goes in as a sinless, guiltless substitute. And while Jesus goes into that tomb for us and pays the debt for all of our sins and he finishes the job, you know what now happens when the debt is paid? That tomb had to let Jesus go because Jesus was innocent. And while the justice of God accepted Jesus' sacrifice to pay for our debt, once the debt was paid in full, the justice of God now said, I cannot keep someone who is innocent, who is sinless, condemned in the grave. The justice of God had to let the innocent man go free. While the justice of God demanded that all sin be punished, when Jesus satisfied that punishment for us, God's justice could not keep him in the tomb. So what's the message? That Jesus Christ is risen, proving and validating that he finished the job. God uses the earthquake to shake things up. We're paying attention. What are we paying attention to? We're paying attention to the fact that we did not roll away the stone ourselves, but God did it for us. But pay attention. That stone was not rolled away to let Jesus out. That stone was rolled away to let us in. Let's think about this for a second. God did not need an angel to move a boulder for him. God did not need an angel to move an obstacle for him because he's God. That stone was rolled away. It wasn't broken because the law was never broken. It was rolled away because Jesus fulfilled the law. Now we can walk into the tomb and see the place where Jesus was lying for us. We can see the place where Jesus died and was laid because he atoned for our sins. Now a closed tomb that's supposed to keep us locked up forever, now it's transformed into a wide-open cavern. Now that stone, now that empty tomb, now becomes a memorial. So when we see the place where Jesus was lying, we now remember, we now rehearse, we now never forget what our Lord and our Savior did for us. This is why on Resurrection Sunday, this is why in the preaching and teaching of the Word, this is why with a particular frequency when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we rehearse, we remember, and go back to that memorial to come and see 
what God has done for us. And what has God done for us? Everything. He's done everything that you and I could never do. Verse 3, and his, the angel's appearance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. The guard shook for fear of him and became like dead men. So Jesus is put in the tomb and there are two Roman soldiers on guard outside the tomb. Now let's think about this for a second. These two soldiers had the easiest job possible. Watch the dead guy and make sure he doesn't do anything funny. Stand on guard of this tomb and make sure nothing funny happens with the man who's dead inside. That's all they had to do. It's a simple job. But then God shakes things up and changes all that. A heavenly messenger descends from above and the guards experience an internal shaking of mind, body, and spirit. The text says the guard shook. Guess what? That's from the same roots in Greek as the word earthquake, meaning they had a violent internal shaking up of their spirits, of their souls, and their minds. And they were trembling in fear, not because they actually saw God. They didn't even see God. They saw an angel. They saw a heavenly creation, something that was heavenly, but not God himself. The message is, for those outside of Christ, you actually should be afraid because God is God and God is sovereign. And one day, every man, every woman is going to stand before God and be held accountable. So God shakes things up and wants to make sure that we're all paying attention. But it's Resurrection Sunday. We're not preaching wrath today. What does the angel do? Does he turn to the two soldiers and does he give them words of condemnation? He doesn't. He actually doesn't say a word to the soldiers. He instead turns to the two women. And what does he say? Verse 5, the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. And the message is, for those seeking Christ, you never have a reason to fear. The message is one of comfort. Do not be afraid. A heavenly messenger gives a message of assurance, for those who earnestly see Christ, you never have to be afraid because your past sins are forgiven. That's why Jesus was crucified. Your past is taken care of. Your present is taken care of because God provides for you. Your present is taken care of because you and I both know that nobody's perfect. You and I both know you're going to pursue holiness, but invariably, as a function of you being a human being, you're going to falter here and there. And that is okay, because Jesus did not come to save perfect people. He came to save sinners. Your past is taken care of, your present is taken care of, and your future is taken care of, because in Jesus Christ, you are now a co-heir to an eternal, heavenly, spiritual inheritance. 
that God has decreed to give to all of his children, and that is an inheritance which can never be taken away. For those seeking Christ, you never have a reason to fear because the reason why you're seeking Christ in the first place is because God called you. And those whom God calls, he keeps and never turns away. So the message is, do not be afraid. We do not fear because our faith is not based on an empty tomb. It's based on a risen Lord that many eyewitnesses saw. Jesus Christ is risen. That means he has risen above evil. He has risen above doubt. Jesus Christ has risen above our hesitations and doubts. Jesus Christ has risen above any and all reservations or skepticism. This is why we have hope, because we're not praying to a dead man. We pray to a living, breathing Lord when we read our Bibles and sit under the preached word. We're hearing about a living, breathing, sovereign king. The message is, do not be afraid, for he has risen. But let us not forget... Mary and the other Mary came to the tomb looking for Jesus who has been crucified. The reason why Jesus was risen was because he was first crucified. He died for sin. You never get to the resurrection without going to the cross. And when we cleave to a risen Lord and see the fresh places where the nails went through his wrists and where the nails went through his feet. We always remember that God died for the purpose of atoning for our sin. That means we never ever take the finished and free offer of grace lightly because the salvation that God has wrought through his son was never a joke was never a game, was never anything trivial. We realize our risen Lord is not a functional savior. We don't use Jesus to get something else. The object is Jesus, because he and he alone is risen. This means in our personal everyday lives, when we seek the crucified Lord, we follow his steps, we love the light, we desire what is true and righteous, and we hate, abhor the darkness, and we let go of everything else in our life that holds the deed to our heart that's not the risen, crucified Christ. So the message is, seek the crucified one. We don't seek a life lesson, not moralisms, not an emotional boost. We don't seek a teacher who just tells us everything we want to think is okay. We seek the crucified, risen Lord. We seek a real Savior who died on a real cross to atone for real sins, to grace you with real salvation. And when you earnestly seek him, that is now going to have real, radical change in real life because he is risen teaches us that something is new. Verse six, the angel says, he is not here for he has risen just as he said. Come see the place where he was lying. 
go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. The angel tells the women, he is not here, for he has risen, just as he said. The message the angel tells Mary and the other Mary is simple. He says, ladies, of course Jesus is not here, because Jesus said he would rise from the dead, and he did. The message is, God always tells the truth. God is trustworthy. God always tells the truth. But even more than the fact that Jesus in his life said he would die and raise from the dead, God raised a prophet hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus ever walked the earth. And God proved, God validated to us that he is God by using his prophets to look down the corridor of time and to prophesy that Jesus will be crucified and resurrect 700 years before crucifixion even existed. The message is, of course Jesus is not here because he always tells the truth. The resurrection is true. It was witnessed not just by Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, but hundreds of witnesses, some at the same time, after Jesus rose from the dead. The resurrected Jesus Christ is not a memory. He is a true, real, risen, resurrected Lord. This is why the original apostles who were sent to preach the truth of Jesus Christ, they were simple men who were uneducated, who didn't have a lot of worldly accolades. They were the ones who changed the world and laid the foundation of the Christian church. These were simple men who had no power, who had no money, who had no prestige. And the reason why those simple people could set in motion the Christian church and change the course of history forever is because God is always on the side of truth. And what is true is the historical fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And many of those apostles I talked about, many of them would die for the truth. You show me a man, he may live a little bit for a lie, but he's not going to die for a lie. The only way a person will die for something is if it is in fact true. The message is, God is trustworthy. The message is, God always tells the truth. The angel tells the women, come see the place where Jesus was lying. And when they saw the place where Jesus was lying, they would remember Jesus dying. And the message is, church, that suffering is never for nothing. When Mary and the other Mary were there at the tomb Sunday morning and they came and saw the place where Jesus was lying, they would go back in their memories and remember that on Friday they looked up on that cross and saw Jesus being crucified, undergoing the worst agony that could be imaginable. They would look at Jesus on the cross and say things like, God, how could you let this happen? 
God, this can't possibly be the plan. This can't actually be God's will for our precious Lord Jesus to hang there while he's dying on the cross. But then when they came to the tomb on Sunday and realized that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, they would now see there was a purpose, there was a meaning that God was doing something in moving from the crucifixion to the resurrection. They would now have not fear, but joy, knowing that God's divine power raised his son up. As Charles Haddon Spurgeon once said, quote, death is the waiting room where we robe ourselves for immortality. Church, when we remember that suffering is not for nothing, and we remember the crucifixion and the resurrection, I'm not going to lie to you. The Bible never promises we're going to have a grief-free, burden-free existence. I'm not going to lie to you and say I can always give you a neat and clean reason why you're going through what you're going through. But here's a little insight. Even if you had a reason why the suffering is there, guess what's still there? The suffering. The difference is that now, when we suffer, when we grieve, we grieve with hope. We grieve knowing in the dark night, in between the crucifixion, the resurrection's coming. We know a new day is coming. We know a new dawn is coming. We know the tombs, the tomb will soon be completely empty because Jesus Christ is risen. So when it comes to adversity, when it comes to suffering, we now realize that death is the gate of life. And if God takes something good away, he is preparing to give something infinitely better. And on top of that, when we grieve, when we suffer, in the midst of being squeezed, in the midst of remaining under, Christ is now the living object of hope who infuses us with strength, with hope, with comfort. Is it going to be easy to remain under? No, it's not. It's going to push you to your limits, and there are going to be some instances when you feel as if you may break, but every second that you hold on to God and don't forsake him, that honors him. And when you do that, when you believe, that is now going to cultivate in you a bold, resilient sense of joy that doesn't come from anything else other than suffering. The message is, Suffering is never for nothing. Beloved, if you are suffering, do not let go. Do not let go. Believe in him. Remember the resurrection. Do not let go, for suffering is never for nothing. Verse 8. And they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report it to his disciples. In all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all of the original eyewitnesses were women. Here's a historical insight. In a court of law back then, women were not legal eyewitnesses. In a Jewish court, a Roman court, or a Greek court. So, if a woman said, I saw the resurrected Jesus, 
they would dismiss her away. Which means the only reason why Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John would include that women were the first eyewitnesses to the resurrected Christ would be if it was true. Because all four gospel writers were not writing a tale so they could condemn their own testimony. And look at what the text says. They left with fear and great joy. Their fear was moderate, but their joy was great. Fear refers to reverence or respect, and their joy was great because Jesus Christ had risen from the dead. Now, just as with the dawn of a new day, God, in a sense, was telling a new creation story. Let's go back to Genesis now. In Genesis, an evil angel, the devil, the serpent, told a woman, Eve, a lie. Eve believed the lie, followed through on the lie, ate of the tree, ate of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and the result was the fall of all of humankind. Now what happens? Now a good angel tells two women the good news that Jesus Christ is risen. They now don't believe a lie, they believe the truth. And instead of disobeying God, they follow the angel's instructions. And then they are now going to tell a message. They are going to be the first gospel preachers of the historical reality that Jesus Christ has risen. So everyone who now believes in that risen Lord will not fall, but will instead rise to new life. And what the text says is that Mary and the other Mary ran to report it. They did not waver. They did not hesitate. They didn't think about it. They ran to report the good news. The angel says, go. They heard the angel. They listened. And they immediately ran to report. So on the road of obedience, on the road of obedience, who do they meet in going to Galilee. In fact, Jesus, the angel says go to Galilee. God doesn't even wait until they get to Galilee. God meets them halfway. Verse 9, And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them, and they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. As Matthew Henry, Henry once wrote, quote, God's gracious visits usually meet us in the way of duty. End quote. And what, what did Mary and the other Mary do when they saw Jesus? They immediately took a hold of his feet and they worshipped him. Taking a hold of someone's feet is what someone back then would do to acknowledge a king. But we don't worship earthly kings, do we? There is only one king whom we worship, Jesus Christ. So they took a hold of his feet and then they worshipped him because Christ and Christ alone is the object of our worship. And the message is this. The message is just like these women cleaved to the feet of Christ's feet, we now cleave to Jesus as branches attached to a vine. There are many things in life you can cleave to. You can cleave to stuff, 
You can cleave to things. You can cleave to ideas. But those are all dead, lifeless things that can't fill the eternal hole in your heart. You can even cleave to another person. But other people, they let you down because people change. People disappoint you. And invariably, people die. But when you now cleave to Jesus Christ, does Jesus change? He does not. Does Jesus let you down? He does not. And does Jesus die? He does not. He is eternally alive. He's the only worthwhile object of our worship. You may cleave to happiness. You may cleave to so many other things in life, but they are dead objects of your cleaving. When you cleave to Jesus Christ, you're now going to experience things like contentment, delight, joy, happiness. But you experience those things as a function of being a branch attached to a living source of hope. If you go after the happiness, if you go after the stuff, if you go after whatever else as your ultimate end, invariably you are going to be disappointed. We cleave to Jesus here and now by cleaving to his word, by cleaving to the church and the discipline executed therein. We cleave to Jesus by staying close to him in our prayer closets. And when we cleave to Christ's feet, who else are we going to see? Other disciples who also cleave to his feet. And now invariably we are adopted as new members into a new Christ-centered family. The message is cleave to Jesus as branches attached to a vine. Verse 10 says, Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and take my word to my brethren to leave for Galilee, and there they will see me. The heavenly messenger gives a message of comfort. Do not be afraid. Jesus now gives the same message. Do not be afraid. So my question to you this morning is this. If Jesus is telling us that you have no reason to fear him. My question is, why are you afraid of him? Why are you afraid of God? What is it that's keeping a wedge? What is it that's keeping a distance? What is it that's holding you back from the crucified and risen one who's intently telling us do not be afraid. Christ's message is simple. He said it himself. Do not be afraid. He rose from the dead to silence the fears of his people and to instead fill our hearts with joy. And Jesus proves it. He proves the fact that we ought not to be afraid. What does he call his disciples, his brethren? These are guys who, when he was crucified, abandoned Jesus. These were guys like the Apostle Peter, who would soon be the Apostle Peter, who denied Jesus three times. And Jesus is now telling these two women, go and tell those guys. Go and tell those deserters. He's calling them my brethren. Meaning with the resurrection, there's something new. There's a transformative happening now where those who now cleave to Jesus are no longer enemies of him, but we have no reason to be afraid because once we cleave, 
we are now adopted brothers and sisters in the family of Christ. Jesus also says we ought not to be afraid because when they head to Galilee, there they will see me. Jesus gave specific instructions on where to go and where to find him because he's a savior who's meant to be found. He's not hiding anywhere, and therefore we have no reason to be afraid in seeking him. The Galilee back then was the place where people who followed Jesus, who listened to his word, met together and gathered. So the Galilee here and now in the 21st century are all those places all around the world where people who earnestly follow Christ meet and gather around him and his word. In other words, Christ's church. So that's the message. Matthew 28, 1 to 10. So what's the meaning? Why does any of this matter? What does this all mean? It all means that scripture is true from cover to cover. Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. It means that not only did the resurrection of Jesus Christ happen, but God said all of it would happen almost a thousand years in advance. Isaiah 53, Psalm 1610, Psalm 22. It means that Jesus is God's son. Psalm 2, John 10, 17 to 18. Look, reality is a sermon. Reality tells us that everything that lives dies, but there's one person who did not, and his name is Jesus Christ. Every other object of faith in reality fades away. All of your works, all the things you do, they're here one minute, gone the next. You know the Pope? Guess what's going to happen to him? He's going to die. Muhammad died, Buddha died, Rome washed away, capitalism, communism, the United States, it all one day is going to fade away into oblivion. But only Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And when I say the resurrection was proof, was evidence that Jesus is God's Son, it wasn't proof to God. It was the grand miracle to give us validation, to give us hard, concrete evidence to us, to flesh and bones, natural human beings. And because Jesus bodily rose from the dead, this also means that all who are in Christ will one day raise like him. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18, Romans 8, 29. The resurrection of Christ means that not only was his resurrection representative of what will happen to those who are in Christ, it also means we are raised to new life now in being born again, John 3, 3, and therefore having the power to live a Christian life. The resurrection means that the object of our hope is all-powerful, everlasting, and living. Hoping in anything else is a dead hope that grows weaker and weaker before it dies. But hoping in a risen Lord means our hope never dies because the one in whom we hope lives forever. Beloved, in Christ, realize that when you die, you don't really die. 
that when you are in Christ, when you die, your obituary is going to be a lie. When you die, the only thing that happens is you change your permanent address from an earthly one to a heavenly one. The message is, he is risen. The meaning of he is risen is that Christ is presently, right now reigning, who has all authority in heaven and on earth, Matthew 28, 16 to 20. And one day, the king's going to come back. And if the king comes back and you are cleaving to him, that now means you are an ally of the crown. That's good news. But if the king comes back and you're not cleaving to him, that means you're an enemy of the crown, and that's bad news. So that's the message. That's the meaning. What's the mandate? How now do we respond? That's simple. Shortest part of the message. The mandate is believe. The mandate is trust in Jesus Christ. Our material reality is not ultimate reality. The ultimate reality is spiritual beyond what can be immediately sensed here and now. An infinite chasm separated those spiritual worlds, that spiritual world, and the material world. But the good news is that Christ closed the gap and is now the bridge and proved and validated he is the mediator, he is the bridge between earthly and heavenly by the historical fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And the only thing one must now do is believe, is trust him, is follow him, is cleave to him. Because if you really trust Christ, once you cleave to him, you'll never let go. Because once you cleave to him, you'll never want to you'll never desire to. For Jesus Christ, our risen Lord, is the best there is. Let's pray. Lord, on this day, Resurrection Sunday, Resurrection Sunday is a special day for us, but in reality, precious Lord, every Sunday celebrates your resurrection. Sunday is the Sabbath. Sunday is the Lord's day, and the reason why Sunday is the Lord's day is because that is the day when you rose from the dead. So I entreat you, O Lord, to bring us back continually and perpetually to the open tomb that all may come and see where you were lying so we can see the tomb, we can see the stone rolled away, and we will always rehearse and remember, Lord Jesus, what you did for us. So whether you send us to Galilee, whether you send us here or there, wherever we are in this world, we shall know, we shall rehearse, and we shall remember, precious Lord, number one, who you are and what you have done for us in your life, in your death, and in your resurrection. So that now all those who cleave to you, their end will never be death, but their end will be you, and therein have life and fullness therein forever. In Jesus' name we pray and we thank you, our precious Lord. Amen. We do hope that you have been enriched and equipped by the preaching of Dr. Sadoffel. For more valuable resources, please visit wcsk.org. Until next time, peace be with you and to God be the glory forever.